Hey, good morning, Journey, and for those of you who are here for our 5 p.m., good evening, and thank you for being with us today. So uh, about every Sunday night, Danielle and I will leave our 5 p.m. service, and we'll go have dinner at Longhorn and just kind of veg out in the bar area. We always go to the bar area, and we've gotten to know kind of all the bartenders at Longhorn really good. Uh, We know their names. We know a little bit of their stories. They talk to us. Uh, We're becoming friends with those people. We're there so often, and last Sunday, we went to Longhorn, and they had a brand new bartender who we didn't know very well. And as he was waiting on us, he came up to the table, young guy, really, really nice guy, kind of hair pulled back in a bun. He was kind of covered with tats. Uh, so I asked him, I said, hey, what's, what's your name? We'd hear almost every Sunday night. Um, and he said, my name's Logan. And I'm always trying to connect with people in some way or another. So I said, Logan, like Logan Paul. Now, what you need to know is I have no idea who Logan Paul is. You may have no idea who Logan Paul is if you're under the age of 21. He's some famous YouTuber that I hear kids talking about from time to time when I do youth ministry. I thought this guy looks pretty young. Maybe he knows who he is. And he kind of laughed and he said, you're the second person who has said that to me today. I had a fourth grader in here who asked me if I knew Logan Paul earlier in the day. And he said, I really don't know who Logan Paul is. He said, what's funny is I have a lot of older people um, who come in here and eat. And when they hear my name's Logan, they always ask me if I've seen the movie Logan's Run. I guess that's, a, that's what old people know the, the name Logan for, Logan's Run. He said, have you ever seen that movie? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, it was made before I was born. I don't know anything about it. But that's what people normally ask me. And I said, well, do you know, like, the Wolverine? Do you know that, Logan? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, we'll stick with that then. You can be Logan like the Wolverine. And he laughed and he said, yeah, at least that movie was made before I was born. That allows me to date myself with my upcoming illustration because probably one of my favorite movies was made before he was born. And if you're under the age of 25, it was almost made before you were born. In 1986, one of my favorite movies came out. It was called Short Circuit. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Short Circuit. It was about kind of this robotic character that a laboratory named Nova Labs created for Cold War technology and Cold War capabilities. They were doing a military demonstration one day when it got struck by lightning. And when it got struck by lightning, it allowed it somehow in its circuit board to develop the ability to kind of have human emotions. And this robot, the fifth model of the robot, kind of escaped the complex. It ended up finding its way to a home in Oregon and living with a lady who took care of animals. And he always desired input. He would always ask for more input. So she set the robot in front of the television. She would set the robot in front of the television and the radio, and he would learn to speak like the culture of the day. He could do all the voices he heard on TV. And he kind of developed in the storyline as if he was a person. One day he was out playing in the meadow. He was kind of jumping and running along and he smashed a grasshopper. He killed it. And I'll never forget, he smashed a grasshopper and then he kind of pulled back over the grasshopper and he realized that it was dead and it spooked him. And he was always from that point on afraid of dying. Well, Nova Laboratories found out where he was and they called the lady he was staying with and they said, listen, we need to come and get our robot back. Um, We need to come and disassemble him and reprogram him and put him back together so he's of use for the military. Well, this phrase, disassemble, 
to this robot who would later have the name Johnny Five. Uh, to him, the name disassemble meant dead, like the grasshopper. So he was scared to death of being disassembled, and he ran away from the military. He ended up finding his way onto a ranch in Montana where they filmed Short Circuit 2 as Johnny Five. But in running away from the military, probably a hundred times in the movie, he would say this phrase, no disassemble, no disassemble, no disassemble. Basically, he was saying, I don't want to die. It was his huge fear that he would be disassembled. Well, today... Our huge goal is to disassemble something. My goal today as we get into week two of our series is to disassemble the dysfunction in the relationships that you're living in, perhaps maybe the dysfunction in your families. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to be with Joseph again today. Take your bulletin notes out so that you can follow along or fire up your Journey Church International uh, app. Everything that's on the screens will be able to be followed along there because we find ourselves in week two of a series that's going to take us through the end of May called My Dysfunctional Family Learning to Live with Difficult People. No one had a more dysfunctional family than Joseph. Nobody had a harder time learning to get along with difficult people than Joseph did. So we're studying his life so we can learn how to do that too. We had a great kickoff last week. We had a great podcast last week. If you weren't with us, I want to make sure you catch those up. Last week, we started at the very end of Joseph's story. Today, we start at the very beginning of Joseph's story in Genesis 37. Here's how we're introduced to this kid with his dysfunctional family. It says in Genesis 37, 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. Jacob was Joseph's dad. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. You might circle those two names his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Israel and Jacob are interchangeable names. It's the same person. He loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he'd made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him. And they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said. I had another dream, and this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So I'm in Israel right now with a group of 30 people from our church on the Sunday that you're watching this message. And I wasn't supposed to preach today. It wasn't my goal to have a video message today. One of our other pastors was supposed to preach. But as we began laying out this series, and specifically this message, Pastor Brandon and I, as we began putting together the content for this message, I was really passionate about the information in this message. And I said, man, I really want to have a voice into the life of our church with the information we're sharing, because I think what we're going to learn today is going to be foundational to this entire series. Because in 20 years of doing ministry and counseling with families and trying to work through relational tension with people, 
what we're going to learn today is usually at the very core, at the very heart of the issue for what is going wrong. And I thought, man, this message is so important. I would hate to sit this one out because I think this is really going to set the tone for the rest of the series. Because trying to manage the difficulty and the dynamics of relationship as they change and as they shift is one of the hardest things to do. But if you can do that, you can not only learn to love difficult people, you can learn to deal with them, you can learn to be happy with them. So today we're going to try to disassemble dysfunction. And here's the three things we're going to look at if you have your notes with you this morning or this evening. One, we're going to learn to see the tension of unhealthy roles in a family. We're going to see that through the life of Joseph. We're going to learn to see the tension of unhealthy roles in a family. Number two, We're going to learn to see the changing roles of every family member and how every family member will change roles as they go through life. And then number three, we're going to learn to see the peace that can result from stepping into your role. If you're not living at peace right now, maybe because you haven't stepped into the role that God has created you to live in in this season. So we're going to learn to see the peace that can result from stepping into your role. So let's try today to learn how to disassemble dysfunction by looking at these three areas. The first one is this, the tension of unhealthy roles in a family. The first one is the tension of unhealthy roles in a family. And here's what you need to understand about Joseph, who's God's hand, who God's hand was on powerfully and who had a great purpose for his life. At the wrong time, the right purposes of our lives can appear to have the wrong motives. At the wrong time, even the right purposes of our lives can appear to have the wrong motives. So there's tension if we're in an unhealthy role at an unhealthy time in our family. Let's recap what we just read in Genesis chapter 37. Joseph was 17. He was his dad's favorite son, but they lived in massive family tension. You say, why is that? Jacob, who was also called Israel, had children by four different women, which means he actually had four different firstborn sons by these women, which means there was a battle between these four firstborn sons as to who would receive the double portion of inheritance as the firstborn son. I mean, every day there was tension within this family. Two of the women were his wives. Two of them were his concubines. You say, what is a concubine in ancient Israel? These would be like surrogate mothers, except they would actually sleep with the father and have legal status as a wife. So you had these four firstborn sons who were all kind of jockeying for the family fortune when their dad passed away. Joseph was one of those, but he was the youngest one of those. To say this family had massive dysfunction is an absolute understatement. So we get into Genesis 37. Joseph has gone to check on the surrogate brothers, Bilhah, Zilpah's sons. And what does he do? He comes back and tells his dad on him. He gives him a bad report. Not a good move for those older brothers. What happens then? Then he tells all the boys which would include the three other firstborn boys jockeying for the family inheritance. And he tells his parents, it appears one day you're all going to bow down and worship me. Listen, I want you to try to do that next Thanksgiving day while you're eating dinner around the table. Just tell all your family, God has spoken to me. And one day you're all going to bow down and worship me. I want you to try that on for size and see how it goes for you. It did not go well for Joseph. However, God had given him that vision for his life. He just shared it at the wrong time. And at the wrong time, the right purposes of our lives can appear to have the wrong motives. What were Joseph's motives? Well, at age 17, 
In Genesis 37, it appeared that Joseph was telling everyone, I'm going to be in charge of the family. I'm going to be in charge of the family. I'm going to receive the double portion of the inheritance. I'm going to inherit the family wealth. And by the way, you're all going to serve me. It appeared at age 37, his motives appeared to be wrong. His motives appeared to be prideful. His motives appeared to be maybe his ego. His motives appeared to be really disrespectful, certainly to his parents. His motives appeared to have a lack of honor to his older brothers. And his motives appeared to make him look entitled at the wrong time. Even the right purposes of our life can be seen with the wrong motives if we don't have the right role in our family. At age 39, 22 years later, in Genesis 42, now it occurs to Joseph, not that I'm going to be in charge of my family, but it occurs to Joseph that I'm going to be responsible for my family. And when you look at Joseph, who has an understanding of the exact same dream, but an understanding of it through the correct role that he's now in in his family, his motives now appear right. Now he appears to be a protector of his family. Now he appears to be a provider for his family. Now he appears to be responsible for his family. Now he looks caring to all these older brothers and even his father and mother. Now he appears to be a servant to his family. Say, Christian, what's changed? I mean, what changed? Other than 22 years, what changed? Here's the answer. Everyone in the family clearly understood how the roles in the family had changed. And now everyone was on the same page. You say, what changed other than 22 years passing? Everyone clearly understood how the roles in the family had changed. And now everyone was on the same page. They were one big happy family. They were still massively dysfunctional. So they were one big happy dysfunctional family. But at least they were on the same page. Which leads us to ask this question. When you look at your family, your extended family, even your friendships... Are you all on the same page with the roles that you have? Does everyone understand how the roles change and continue to change so that everyone is on the same page and you can be one big, happy family? Because that's the second point of today's message. We have to learn to see the changing roles of every family member. Talking to those of you who now are 15. I'm talking to those of you who are 25 and just got married. I'm talking to those of you who might be 50 and your kids just got married. I'm talking to those of you who are 65 and 70 and you now have grandkids. Is everyone on the same page with the roles that everyone's supposed to be in? Because here's what you need to understand. Changing roles in your family is necessary, but it's not easy. Changing roles in your family is necessary, but it's not easy. And when we look at the life of Joseph... Listen, even though changing roles sometimes has a divine purpose, it can still feel deeply personal. It can feel deeply offensive. I mean, even when changing roles has a divine purpose, it's because God has called you into something else. It can still feel deeply personal. And not just in dysfunctional families. I'm talking about in the most spiritually spiritual functioning family in the history of the world. I'm talking about a little couple named Mary and Joseph and their little son named Jesus. Even in that family, when people change roles for a divine purpose, it can feel deeply personal. We read a story about some conflict in the life of Jesus and his mom Mary and his dad Joseph in Luke chapter 2 as he turned 12 and ended up getting left behind in Jerusalem. It's a familiar story, but sometimes we don't see the emotions of what happened when the roles begin to shift in the family. Look at Luke chapter 2 on the screens with me. 
It says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and their friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, listen, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Listen, even when changing roles has a divine purpose, it can feel deeply personal. Did you see Mary's question? Mary didn't say, Jesus, why are you in the temple? She didn't say, Jesus, what are you doing? She said this. It was deeply personal. Jesus, why would you treat me like this? Did you see the question? Jesus, why would you treat me like this? She was deeply offended that he was stepping out into the role that God had created him for. Now listen, if anyone in the world ever had a divine purpose, it was Jesus. And if any family member ever was to understand that another family member had a divine purpose, it was Mary. An angel told her what was going to happen. Yet she asked as roles begin to change, Jesus, How could you do this to me? How could you step out and into your purpose? Even though it was a divine purpose, it was deeply personal. And listen, even when the healthiest and most functional families experience a change in roles, there's tension. It can feel personal. And maybe you're living through that tension today. Maybe you are the parent that's deeply offended that your kid has grown up and they don't call home anymore. Or maybe you're the child who's ready to step out, but you're so worried that your mom and dad are going to get mad that you won't step into your purpose. You say for Jesus, and maybe you just growing up and moving on has created a little bit of of tension for this reason on your notes. Stepping into your purpose sometimes looks a lot like stepping away from your family. Stepping into your purpose, just growing up, can sometimes look a lot like stepping away from your family. We see this in Matthew chapter 12. In verse 46 through 50, Jesus is moving forward in his purpose, but it appears to his family as if he's running away from them. It says, while Jesus was talking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mom, your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And he replied to him, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother. They're my sister. They're my mother. Jesus had grown up. Jesus had stepped into his purpose in ministry. And to his family, it looked like he was just stepping away from him, from them. And they said, we got to go get him and, and bring him back. So last weekend, I had the opportunity to, to take uh, my, my first college visit with my son. I remember my first college visit myself. I can't believe now my son took one. But he got invited up to watch a baseball game at the school where my dad's an athletic director and to spend a day with the admissions department 
taking a tour of the campus. So, so we went up to, to a town just south of Chicago where my mom and dad live and where my sisters live. And on Friday night, we got a chance to have a family dinner together. And at that family dinner, my older sister waited till the dinner was over. And then she said, oh, I need to say something. And I said, what's that? And she said, look at me. We all know the series you're getting ready to start preaching. And I want you to know we're watching. And if you say anything about us, we're going to kill you. So Jill, if you're watching, no bad stories about the Newsom family. But part of the tour on Saturday, we got to see all the university on Friday. And on Saturday, Christian got to go work out with the baseball team. And after the workout, they invited him to lunch. And I texted Danielle and said, Christian stood me up for lunch. He's, he's eating lunch with the, the baseball club like he's some college kid. And Danielle texted him back and said, no. He can't leave his family. He's got to eat lunch with us. He can't go eat lunch with them. Listen, I get it. It's going to be deeply personal when your kids grow up and move out. It's going to be deeply personal when they move on to a new phase in life. It might even look like they're stepping away from you just by stepping into their purpose. But listen, I pray, especially for Christian, it needs to happen I actually pray that it does happen. I really do want him to go to college and move out and be successful with his life one day, but I know it's going to be hard. And listen, here's where we need to just get honest with ourselves. How could any of us who have families that really love us not expect them to be hurt and not expect them to feel a void when we step away? I mean, any of us who have a family who really loves us should expect people to be hurt as we move on. I mean, if Mary, the mother of Jesus, could get her heart hurt over the Messiah becoming the Messiah, certainly our moms and our wives and our hearts are going to hurt a little bit too. But we have to realize in a family, roles change. And here's what we can do to help that. Even in our changing roles, our hearts to love our families can still be evident. Jesus made this really clear for his mom, even as he hung on a cross. Talk about a role getting ready to change for a family. Jesus hung on a cross, but he made it real evident to his mom that she was really close to his heart. In John 19, while he's on the cross, he says this to his mother to make sure she knows, listen, you're still important to me, and I want to make sure you're taken care of. In John 19, 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here's your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Listen, our hearts for our family can be evident. They should be evident. But roles in a family change. You know, I want to show you a few charts of my life and how how just my roles have changed in my family. And then you're going to get a chance to do this exercise in your small group this week. So I hope you get to go to small group this week to kind of fill out your life charts and your priority roles. You know, when I look at my life at five, if you look at the charts that are on the screen, you know, at five, the roles in my life were pretty simple at five years old. I was a child of parents. It was my number one role, the most important role in my life. I was a brother of two sisters, an older sister and a younger sister. And I suppose I was a friend of kindergartners. I was in kindergarten half of age five. Like that, that was me, not much going on in my life. My roles changed a little bit when I turned six because at the age of six, I became a Christian. I invited Jesus to to be my savior and to forgive my past. And I said I would commit my life to him. So from the age of six to 20, a pretty good chunk of time, the roles of my life changed. And it looked like this. I was a child of God first. 
For those of you who are Christians, you're always a child of God first. And then I was a child of my parents all the way up until 20. It was my second most important role. And then I was still a brother of two sisters. I was a friend. I was a teammate to people I play sports with all through elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. But then at the age of 21, I got married. And my roles began to change again. You see, at age 21 and at age 22... My most important role was as a child of God, but then my second most important role was as a husband to Danielle. That became the second most important relationship in my life. My third most important role was as a full-time worker or provider for the family that I now led. First Timothy 5, 8 says, you're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than someone who doesn't even love Jesus if you don't take care of your family. So that became the third most important thing. I was still a child of parents. But that role had minimized itself in my life. I was still a brother of sisters. I was still a friend. Now I was a church volunteer. I was a church member. Most of my friendships in life revolved around my Christian friendships. That was age 21 and age 22. And then my life changed again at 23. And from 23 to 40, it's kind of stayed the same. Still a child of God first. Then I'm a husband to Danielle going on 20 years now. I'm still a father to Christian and Casey. That's why my life changed at 23, because I had my son, and then two years later, we would have a daughter. My fourth role now is as a full-time worker and as a provider. My, my relationship with my kids kind of rolled above that. And then, as I became an adult, I stepped into God's purpose for my life. I became a pastor. I stepped into the calling that God had created me for. I'm still a child of parents but you can see how that role has slid down. I'm still a brother of sisters, but you can see how that role has slid down. I'm still a friend, church volunteer, church member. But we have to understand the changing role of our lives demand a changing role in our family. The changing roles of our lives and what God says we are most responsible for in different seasons demand that our roles change in our families. And every now and then I like to bring this up when I'm counseling couples that I'm going to marry. I don't do much marriage counseling because I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a counselor of any type. But if I marry someone, I usually will have a meal with them or connect with them after church and just try to talk to them about the wedding ceremony, what they want. Then I'll say, listen, marriage is great, but marriage is hard. Let me tell you where the tension is going to come from in your marriage. There's four areas you're going to have major tension. All of them start with F. First is your finances. You've got to be together on your finances. Second is your friends. You've got to be together on your friends, especially your single friends. You've got to be really, really careful there. Third is going to be your faith. You need to always be on the same page with your faith and how you're going to raise your kids spiritually. And the fourth is your family. It's going to be the greatest source of tension for you. And then I ask the young couples to do this. I say, I want you to start at your wedding day, and I want you to write down all the major holidays and important days in your life for the next 365 days. So start at your wedding day, and then I want you to put in your birthdays, your parents' birthdays, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day, 4th of July, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you, you get the point, right? Labor Day, um, New Year's Eve, I want you to put in. So they put down all of those dates, and then I say, okay, who are you going to spend those with this year? And usually the girl starts crying, and the guy says, I don't care. The girl's crying because she's thinking, my mom and dad are going to get so mad at me. The guy is thinking it doesn't matter, which means his parents are going to get mad at him. And I I caused the first marriage fight because they haven't even thought about changing roles yet. They just thought life would always be like it had always been. 
And they don't think all of a sudden they have divided. Now get this. For most people who grew up in my generation, I mean, more than half the people my age, their parents are divorced, which means they don't have two families to visit on every major important day. They have four Which means this, most young married couples who aren't willing to adjust in their roles, their family unit comes fifth. Once you think about that, they, their kids, when it comes to holidays, birthdays, important days, most people my age, their family, if they're not willing to change how they've been living and adapt their roles, their family comes fifth. If your mom and dad are still married like mine and you're really blessed, your family will come third unless you say, you know what, my, my role has changed. We have mothers in our church who have had kids for six, seven, eight, nine years who have never been celebrated yet as a mother because every Mother's Day they're still celebrating mom. And no one has stopped to say, time out. We need to make Mother's Day now about, about, about this mom because she has children too. We have people in our church who are in their 40s who have never made a Thanksgiving turkey because they've not ever realized their family can have Thanksgiving together. We have families in our church who their kids are moving towards teenage years and they've never been at home on Christmas morning. I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but it can create tension if you're not willing to change with the roles as life grows. And listen, misplaced family priorities lead to messy family relationships. You heard me say that most of the family tension I deal with revolves around this message. There it is. It's two people who have not adjusted every time life adjusts. They've not adjusted the priority of their family roles. And there's all this tension trying to serve too many people. And by making everyone a priority, the people who are most important actually never become the priority. So every family member's roles will change. For those of you who are young, you need to realize that. For those of you who are older and you're not releasing your grown adult children to change, give them a little bit of a break. It will release the tension and it will lead to a bigger, happier family. And what might happen, number three, is you might actually end up having some peace in fulfilling your role. We said that we have to realize that roles are going to change. And if they do, I believe, number three, you can have some peace in fulfilling your roles. This week in small groups. You're going to kind of fill out your charts together. And then we're going to ask everyone to ask whether these things are a reality, whether it's real. You say, what do you mean is it a reality? Here's what I mean by that. Do your kids really believe they're more important than your job? Is it a reality? Does your wife or your husband really believe they're more important than your extended family? Is that a reality? Does your extended family believe that they're more important than your friends and your hobbies and your church? Is that a reality? Because if we can live in the priorities God has created for us, we can learn to live in difficult, contentious situations, and we can have peace. Are the changing roles and priority roles a reality for you? Because they can be. Say, how do we do that? How do we find peace in a dysfunctional family? Three things. Number one, you have to understand your role first. That's why you got to go do the chart and say, you know, what am I really responsible for? How has my life changed as I've grown? Understand your role. Secondly, communicate your role. Let everyone know, here's what I understand my role is now spiritually. Here's how I'm going to lead my life. And then try to manage your role in a way that shows your heart. Understand your role and understand how it changes and will continue to change. Communicate your role. Communicate how it has changed, why you see it changing, and how you know how personal it feels. I know this hurts you for me to step away, 
but it's not personal. I'm stepping into my role, but I'm not stepping away from you. And then manage your role in a way that shows your heart. If Jesus, under the difficulty of the cross, can make sure to communicate well to his parents, then we can try to communicate the same way in love. I believe this could help you find peace even in the midst of a dysfunctional family. And when I say family, here's what I mean. When we look at the Old Testament use of family, when the word, old, when the word family is found in the, New, in the Old Testament, here's what it means. It nearly always represents three to four generations. It's what family means. The word family in the Old Testament almost always represents three to four generations, which leads us to two pretty essential biblical truths to end on today. One, it means this. The blessings and sins of our families going back two and three generations profoundly impact who we are today. Impact how we communicate, impact how we interact, impact what we're afraid of, impact what we're addicted to. The blessings and the sins of our families going back two to three generations profoundly impact who we are today, which means this. Managing up is going to be hard, right? Going from just cold turkey, I've not managed the roles well, to now telling mom and dad, stepmom and dad, grandma and grandpa, this is the way it's going to be. Managing up is really hard to change because you're changing decades, if not more than a 100 years of how your family has done ways. Managing up is really hard because you're working against generations of this is the way our family has done it. However, the second essential biblical truth is this. Following Jesus and following Jesus well requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life in God's way and God's family. It means this, following Jesus well sometimes requires putting off the patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way and God's family. It might mean you can't manage up, but you can manage down. Managing down is possible if you will choose to break the cycle of tension and unhealthiness to lean into the cycle of trust and health that God wants you to have. Understanding that roles change, it's not personal. It doesn't mean no one loves you, but you need to release people into change. Joseph kind of followed these two essential truths in scripture. Joseph came from three, three generations of dysfunction, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They couldn't really get their stuff together, but Joseph had the opportunity to do it differently. A nation would come from a family, a family named after their father, Israel, would turn into a nation named Israel. Why? Because one generation said, we're going to do it different and I'm going to break the mold. In Genesis 46, 26, it says the family of Jacob, all those who went to Egypt with Jacob were 70 people. Up to that point, that's how well that thing functioned. Three generations in, there's still only 70 of them at the family reunion. When Joseph breaks the mold of dysfunction, we see 400 years later, the next time the family of Israel was counted, Numbers 145 and 46, all the Israelites, 20 years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel's army were counted according to their number, and the total number was 603,550. Say, whoa, how did 70 become 600,000? Because one generation stood up and said, we're going to do it different. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob have a lot of respect, have a lot of gratitude for what they poured into me. But we're going to do things differently moving forward. And this family grew and it became a nation because one generation said, I'm going to manage down differently. I can't change everything going up, 
but I'm going to manage down differently. One person learned to operate in their role and help their family do the same as they pushed them down. It changed the way a family operated and a nation resulted. About a year and a half ago, we were in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'd never been to Minneapolis or St. Paul. We were north of St. Paul. Christian had a football game up there. And as we were driving to the football game about 30 minutes north of St. Paul, we, we drove over a little bridge and over a little stream. And next to the, sh- the stream and the bridge was a sign that said Mississippi River. And as I drove over what looked like a creek, I thought, that can't be the Mississippi River. I've driven hundreds of times across the Mississippi River in St. Louis, driving back and forth to my mom and dad's house. I know what the Mississippi River looks like. It's the largest river in America. This wasn't the Mississippi River. This was a little stream that had a sign that said Mississippi River. So I pulled up to a gas station a few miles away and I said, hey, that, that little creek back there had a sign that said Mississippi River. What's the deal there? And he kind of laughed and he said, that is the Mississippi River. He said, that's what the Mississippi River looks like before all the other rivers of America pour into it. He said, at its origin, before everything else gets dumped into it, that's what it looks like. And it's way easier to cross there. You know what Joseph teaches us? At our family of origin, if we will start at the beginning... Before all the generations before us dump all of their stuff into us, if we will just go back and restart at the beginning and say, for our generation, it's going to be different. We can build an obstacle that's much easier to cross. We can build an obstacle that's much easier to navigate. We can build an obstacle that's much easier to control for our families moving forward if we will learn to understand our roles. That's what we're going to try to do as we move through the rest of this series. Next week on Mother's Day, Danielle and I will be team teaching. She'll be on the stage with me and we'll be teaching how to raise a Timothy. We'll be teaching about how to have spiritual influence in the lives of your family and even in the lives of the difficult people who you're trying to learn how to deal with and trying to learn how to love. Why? Because if we can go back to the beginning and do it right and not wait till everything else has been dumped into our life, we can build a family that's much easier to navigate that's much easier to have peace in, and that's much easier to live with. And that's our goal. And as we press forward to do it, I pray you'll continue to keep joining us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you for what we are learning from the life of Joseph. With every head bowed and every eye closed, can you see your chart? Like in your head, can you just picture your chart? What is your role right now? What are the roles in your life that you're supposed to be playing? Are you a child of God first? Would God say you put him before everyone else? Are you a spouse second if you're married? If you have kids, would your kids say, of course I'm more important than my mom and dad's job? That's easy to see. Would your extended family, would your parents say, I know I'm more important than my kids' hobbies and their church world? Could you ask that God would help you to see your current role and step into the role you're supposed to have. For those of us in here who might be parents whose kids are getting ready to move away and go eat lunch with the baseball team instead of with the family, maybe they're getting married and moving away. Would you pray that God would help your heart not to be deeply hurt by somebody else's changing role? doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't even mean you're doing anything spiritually wrong. Mary was highly favored by God, and she was deeply hurt when her son began to grow up. Would you pray that God would help you see the natural transition of moving roles in a family and not be deeply hurt by it, but to celebrate 
your family stepping into their roles? Would you ask God that he might teach you to communicate in a way that shows people your heart, even as your roles change and it brings tension? Would you ask God to teach you to communicate in a way that shows your heart, even when you're communicating difficult things? And for those of us who don't want to live in dysfunction anymore, would you ask that maybe God would help us, our generation, to manage down well, like Joseph. We can't change what's happened before us, but to help us change our stories and the health of our families forever. Would you pray, if you have kids right now, that you would be able to help them thrive in all of their changing roles so that you can change the narrative and the tension that maybe you have faced? God, we thank you for the life of Jacob who became Israel and the story of his 11th son that's presented to us today. Thank you that you show us, Lord, how Lord, our motives can be mistaken when we're out of our role, but how when everyone gets on the same page together, Lord, we can not only thrive, but we can have peace. Help our church to be filled with families who learn how to operate not in dysfunction, but in peace. Because we understand our changing roles, we communicate our changing roles, and we learn how to manage the tension of those changing roles. I pray, God, you'll be with the team who's in Israel as I preach this message to our church by video. Give us safety, and God, bring us back inspired in our faith to live for Jesus, uh, Lord, after we've walked where he has walked uh, and learned so much about the land of Israel where he ministered. God, we love you. Pray that you'll help us as we keep moving forward in this series. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen.